God were to call you to minister to someone tonight, are you ready to do the beck and call of the Lord? Well, I didn't get too many amens on that one. I said, if God were to call you to minister to someone tonight, are you ready to do the beck and the call of the Lord? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We want you to come, Brother Mullins. Brother Mullins from somewhere in Canada. I have no idea. I think it's Calgary. Calgary, Canada. Praise the Lord. And we want them to take their liberty. They want to sing. They want to whatever they want to do. Whoa, stop. Hold it. Excuse me. Pardon me. In my old age, I'm getting a little forgetful. So delighted to have Brother and Sister Essex with us tonight. Brother Essex just ministered to us. Was it last Wednesday night? Oh my, didn't the Holy Ghost move around here last Wednesday night, church? Brother Essex is the pastor in uh, Alamosa, Colorado, and we're just so thrilled to have them. And, and uh, God bless them richly. They come to pick up their bus tonight. We gave them that bus. Praise God. Brother Essex said, Brother Elder, we're going to fill it up. Well, that's what it's for. Amen. I don't want to sell it to some hunter that's going to put his muddy boots in it and drag a bloody elk up in there. My God, let's fill it up with kids. Bring them to church. Teach them how to walk all over the devil. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Brother Mullins, I want to say how delighted we are to have you. I haven't had a whole lot of time to spend with them, but the little time that I have, I've enjoyed it. We've tried to go fishing twice, and it's just not working out, but we're going to go. We are going to go sometime. Praise God when God allows us to, but we're just so thrilled and so delighted to have them with us tonight. We want him to come. Are you ready for the preaching of the word of the Lord? Come on, Brother Mullins. Follow the Holy Ghost. God bless. Thank you, Brother Elder. So good to be here tonight with y'all. Amen. Can I move this, Brother Elder? Don't want to tear up the sound system tonight. I feel like like the Lord would want to fill some people with the Holy Ghost. And I feel like the Lord would like to minister to some of you tonight. I don't know. I don't know your life. I don't know your situation. But I know a God that does. And Brother Elder, we didn't get to go fishing those walleye, but I went fishing yesterday at Walmart. And... Uh, Boy, I'm going to tell you, that old girl I talked to, she was hungry. And uh, she said, oh, I know where that church is. I said, well, why don't you come on out there then? I said, I'd love to get a chance to preach to you. She said, oh, I, I heard all of them. I heard that, that UPC preacher. I, I said, no, no, you ain't heard nothing yet. She's supposed to be coming some night this week. I am going back over tomorrow morning and uh, refresh her memory. And I believe if you show up often enough, you'll be like that widow and the unjust judge. They'll come just to get clear of you. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And um, I sincerely believe that. You know, I couldn't help but think, 
when Brother Elder was speaking about this backslider that he knows, this woman, you know there's a word in the scripture, Paul said to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And we read that many times, we just kind of gloss over it. But that word reconcile holds a very special meaning to me. Uh, reconcile means to mend a cloth as though it had never been torn. It also holds the meaning, and oh, I wish that guy with that guitar would come over here with it. Come here, brother. I'm going to mess you up. It also holds this meaning, and I'll wait till he arrives with his, his sword of music. Put it on, brother. I don't want to break it on you, but I'm going to get you to, I'm going to get you to, to, to put this thing out of tune for me. Just crank them little deals up there on the top of that thing. Yeah, just just take your little knobs up there and just kind of. Can you turn that thing by ear? I take you can. Yeah. Oh, that sounds horrible, don't it? Now, brother, reconcile also holds this meaning. It means to to tune a musical instrument as though it was never out of harmony. Put it back in tune, brother. He'll get it here in a second. Now, what he's doing? He's putting it back in harmony. You know, when you and I were a sinner, when we came to God, we were drastically out of tune with everything. But God did a little cranking on us, and he put us back in harmony like we was never out of tune. Oh, it's coming. I can hear it. I couldn't tune one to save my soul, but I can tell you when one's out of tune. God, how long did it take God to put some of you back in harmony? Hit it, brother. Let me hear it now. Listen, listen. Don't it sound nice? Reconcile also holds this meaning. It means to, to heal that which is broken as though it had never been broken. Now, whether that's trust or whether that's bones, you know, I knew a man was a friend of mine, brother Elder. He got run over by a D9 cat bulldozer. And when he passed out, he said his left leg was laying over his right shoulder. And when I seen him the next morning in the hospital, they had his leg in traction. It was broken in nine places. And they had steel pins through it about the size of my finger sticking out about yay far on each side of his leg. And when they shut the tractor off, uh, I guess two guys heard him screaming about a mile away. They were working in the woods. And when they shut the tractor off, they couldn't find him. So they had to back the tractor off his leg, and it stopped. It had crushed his hip and the first three ribs. And after spending eight months in a body cast, they told him he would forever walk with a limp. But there were some praying people that asked God to reconcile them broken bones. And he walks today without a limb. I thank God tonight for his ability to reconcile man back to himself. That's why God could say through the writer, oh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Whole things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My. 
because I'm going to preach till I'm done and I hope we finish at the same time. <laughs> Praise God. There's my friend. Brother, don't go away. I need you. I need you. Oh, let me see here. You, you got the victory? All right, come on up here. Come on up here. I need somebody small. I need somebody small. You got the victory, son? Come on up here. I'm going to read you a scripture. I believe when God brought us to where we are now, he, he wanted us to make it from here to the glory world. How many believe that? David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe God gave me two helpers tonight to make it from here to the glory world. He gave me goodness and mercy. And David said, they follow me wherever I go. I want you to be judgment. Can you look mean and nasty? Try real hard, brother. Try real hard. I want you to be grace now. Can you be grace? I didn't say graceful. I said grace. And I want you to be mercy, okay? Now you come over here and stand, okay? Okay, you stand right there next to me, okay? Well, uh, put Grace next to me. Come over here. Now, coming behind you is judgment, okay? Judgment is looking to overtake me and slay me, okay? You don't have to worry about judgment hurting you, but he wants to get me, okay? You're the only thing that stands between me and judgment. Now, judgment, don't hurt him. No, no, you, you, you stay by me, Grace. I need you up here. Mercy, you stay between me and judgment. Now, the Bible said wherever I go, they're going to go with me. And coming behind them is the judgment of God. If I go fast, they go fast. And, oh, that's it, that's it, that's it. Now, look, mercy and grace is the only thing standing between me and judgment. Here's what happens. And if you can get a hold of this, I guarantee it will help you live for God. We make it so hard, and it's really easy. Paul wrote to the Roman church, and he said, he said, you don't even understand it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Grace is God's goodness or unmerited favor to men. And Paul said, it leads me to repentance. Now, if I sin, God forbid, but if I do, grace catches me by the hand and goes out ahead of me and leads me to a place of repentance. And while I'm repenting, mercy is holding back the judgment of God. Now, grace gives me what I don't deserve. That's a place to repent. Mercy holds back for me what I do deserve. Put your hand up, son. Mercy cries with a loud voice. The Bible said mercy rejoices against judgment. It means cries with a loud voice. It boasts against judgment and says, no, no, you can't have him. You can't have him. Grace is not done yet. 
Grace is not done yet. And while I'm busy repenting, mercy's holding back judgment. Oh, he wants to slay me. But I got two helpers, church. God never intended for you to walk this way by yourself. Come on. You're out there trying to live for God by your own self. God never intended it that way. He gave you grace and mercy to help you. That's why the Bible said according to his mercy has he saved us. Then he said, by grace are you saved through faith. He knew it was going to take both of them to prevent judgment from overtaking us. Thank you. Thank you, brethren. Judgment that would condemn us decrees our guilt and our unworthiness. And it, it tells of our fate and our sentence. But mercy holds her hand up and says, no. No, no. God wants to reconcile. Praise God. All, all the evidence tonight said you and I were guilty and worthy of nothing but death and hell. That's right. That's what judgment that's what judgment said. You're, you're unworthy. The Bible says so. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one. But my judge became my lawyer. And my lawyer became my judge. And said, I pardon him. Do you understand tonight what it means to be pardoned by God? Oh, my, I love it when the Bible talks about remission of sins. Don't have to worry about them anymore, Brother Elder. I can look back on that night when I went down in the name of Jesus and all my sins were washed away through the power of his name and his blood and I come up a brand new person and the devil could point his finger at me no longer and accuse me of things I'd done in the past. Oh my, I love the mercy and grace of God. But I really want to preach to you tonight. And I want to help you. Please understand I'm your friend tonight. I'm your friend. Psalm 119, I believe. Now let's go, let's go to a different one. Let's go to Psalm 19. Let's go to Psalm 19. Verse number 10. Uh, we'll back up a few verses here. Verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. 
Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And one more reading found in the book of Luke. Book of Luke tonight, chapter number 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. There they crucified him. Amen. Let's pray tonight and ask the Lord to have his way. Shall we, Lord God, we love you. We ask you tonight, God, that you talk to us, Lord. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say. I ask God tonight that we could open our heart up to receive your word. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost come, God, that breaks every yoke. I ask tonight, God, that our ear, Lord, would be tuned to your Spirit and your word tonight. Let a spirit of conviction God, settle upon us tonight. I pray you draw men and women unto yourself. Lord, pour out your spirit tonight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you so much for standing. When you look through the Bible tonight, it seems as though sin is somewhat categorized, especially in the Old Testament. You find in Exodus 21, uh, verses 28 to 32, there are some laws governing. If a man had an ox that was prone to push with his horns and uh, he got out and he gored someone that they died, then the ox, uh, the man that owned the ox was supposed to pay a certain penalty. If he knew that the ox was, was going to gore someone and they, he, they were killed, then he had to pay another penalty. But it seems as though some sins were worse than others. You read in Numbers chapter 15, verse 32 to 36 about a man that they found picking up sticks on the Sabbath day and the Bible said they put him in ward until they should seek the Lord till they could find out what they would do with him. And the Bible said, God said, stone him with stones. Here's one man that owns an ox that gores. He pays a certain penalty. Here's a man that simply picks up sticks on the Sabbath day and he's given the death sentence. It seems that some sins were worse than others and some sins were even self-destructive and carried a lifelong reproach. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32 and 33 said, But whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get and his reproach shall not be wiped away. It seems that this sin was self-destructive and carried that same lifelong reproach. When you consider great men of the Bible, men like Judas Iscariot, for he was a great man, Brother Elder, even though uh, we recognize his sin tonight. It's very easily seen in Scripture. Judas was one of the chosen 12. He was the treasurer who carried the bag of money. His sin is rather blatant and obvious in Scripture. 
It was betrayal of a friend with a kiss of treacherousy. Uh, it was uh, the being a, an accomplice to murder. And his sin uh, of suicide is there. Matthew 27 and 4 said that as he left the house of the high priest, he has this confessional statement to make. He said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Now, if you look at Scripture in the Old Testament, God was very adamant about the judgment that was to come on them that would shed innocent blood. It was pointing to the one that was going to come called Jesus Christ, who I believe this Scripture is talking about. He was the innocent blood. And so Judas's sin is very obvious. So much in Scripture uh, is said about Judas. Then you look at Demas, who the Bible said was companion of Paul the apostle and Luke the beloved physician. Paul writes to us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, uh, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. It is perhaps because of Demas that the Spirit prompted John to pen the words found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 that said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Demas' sin was that he loved this present age. He loved the spirit of the age he was in. It was that lusting, licentious, lawless, loose spirit that refused to subject itself to the spirit of holiness. I believe his sin is obvious. Demas became engrossed in the spirit of the age and that spirit took him and led him into error. When you look at David, the beloved psalmist, his sin is somewhat too obvious. His sin was deception, the theft of another man's wife premeditated murder to keep her. His sin was adultery. And I'll just stop and say this. You can believe with me what you want on this. But you have a right to be wrong, as the man would say. Nathan came to David and told him the story of the, little, the man that had the little sheep that was nurtured at his table. And he told that little parable about the man that took that poor man's sheep and fed a traveler with it. Read the story. His story was about a man, David, that committed adultery with Uriah the Hittite's wife. Very simply, I think if a man would steal sheep, he'd probably try to steal your wife. You go and learn what that means. Yes, men would praise David for being a man after God's own heart and his prayer of repentance, but the black spot on the white paper of David's soul would forever uh, be a constant reminder 
of that one moment of weakness that caused him an eternity of regret and that marred his testimony forever. I want to tell you tonight, uh, nobody can mar your character but you. Others may mar your reputation, but only you can destroy your character. David destroyed his testimony forever. You can destroy like David did in a moment's time what it takes you a lifetime to build. Nobody will remember all the days you spent in this church being faithful. If you mess up, they're only going to remember that one time when you made the mistake. But when you come to Solomon, his sin is more difficult to find. What caused, what caused Solomon to get to the place where God would say in 1 Kings 11 and 11, I will surely rend the kingdom from thy hand or from thee and will give it into the hand of thy servant. I believe tonight that Solomon was gifted by God with exceeding much wisdom and understanding. I don't believe for a moment that God gave Solomon all of his wisdom in a lump sum packet. But I believe if you read the writings of Solomon in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and so on, and you look at his life, that I believe that God gave Solomon the power of observation, not just to look, but to see. For several places in Scripture, you, you find Solomon writing, I looked out the casement of my window and saw. I believe he sat in the gate of the city with the elders, and he beheld life walking by him. And as life walked by him, God began to quicken the Scripture to his mind. I believe he was a wise man. First Kings 3 and 12, God said, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall in any wise uh, arise like unto thee. In First Kings 4 and 29, the Bible said, And God gave unto Solomon wisdom and understanding, much and lyres of heart, even as the sand of the seashore. I believe Solomon knew the law better than anybody else except God who gave the law. You could have asked Solomon any question pertaining to the law and without hesitation Solomon could have given you a biblical answer, an answer from the scripture. He could have given you a perfect answer every time. Solomon was not ignorant of what the law of God said. I believe he knew the law of God as though it were a very part of him. Oh, we'll get to where we're going here in a minute. First Kings tonight. I want to read several scriptures there. First Kings. Chapter number 11, verse 1, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord sent unto the children of Israel, 
Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Let me stop here and say this. There is no greater sin of treachery that you could commit against yourself than to try to serve the Lord half-hearted. Oh, then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, for as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and give it to thy servant. Solomon served God half-heartedly, you never read where Solomon ever stopped going up to the temple of the Lord to offer sacrifice. He just simply built altars to other gods. Oh, there's a danger tonight. If you serve God half-heartedly, you might come to this place and sit on a pew and you might wave your hands with half your heart to God and leave this place and go to an altar that you build to another God. God gave Solomon two divine appearances to warn him about marrying outside his own people. Don't know what this good man of God believes, but I'm gonna preach my heart tonight. I don't believe for a minute it's the will of God for some young boy or some young girl in an apostolic church to cast their eye outside and look at people outside the world and get to wanting them and get to uh, desire in their heart to marry them. God for st strictly forbids it in scripture. Don't you come tell a this preacher that you prayed and you found the will of God. Your carnal is a she-bear with twin cubs. You don't have the spirit of God. Oh, we want to talk about being spiritual. But when Paul wrote to the Galatian church and said, ye which are spiritual, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, that word spiritual does not only mean to be filled with the spirit, but it means also to be governed by the Spirit. And you can't tell this preacher that if you're filled with and governed by the Holy Ghost that you're gonna wanna cast your eyes out there to take some damsel or some young buck out there and marry them. That's not the will of God. You'll split hell wide open except for the mercy of God. The law 
spoke volumes about separation from the heathen nations around them. But the Bible said his wives turned away his heart from fully following the Lord. Solomon knew what he was doing was wrong, but he went ahead and did it anyway. What was the sin of Solomon? It's in our text tonight. In Psalm 19, verse 13, he said, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. I believe Solomon's sin uh, was presumptuous sin. It was that proud, haughty, arrogant sin that screamed to God, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And what I want to preach to you tonight is this. I want to preach about the second Calvary. The second Calvary. The Bible mentions three types of backsliders, I believe. Jesus tells the parable about the prodigal son who leaves on his own his father's house. And if you read the scripture closely, you'll find that the father divided his living between both sons, not just the younger son. And he goes out on his own and he wastes his living on whores and riotous living. And he winds up in a pig pen and comes to himself and says, I'm not even worthy to be called my father's son, but I'm going back home. Now some people preach that the father saw the son coming a long ways off and he ran and threw his arms around that prodigal son uh, all over pig slop, smelling like a hog pen, a filthy, nasty varmint to say the least. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe when that son came to himself and made up his mind he was going to go back home, that he stopped somewhere at a creek bank and he took off his clothes and he washed them as best he could and he washed the hog slop off his body. And I don't for a minute believe that he showed up in his father's house with a hog under each arm. If you're here tonight and you're a backslider, you listen to this preacher, you're not coming back to God on your own terms and you're not coming back to God with your sin. You're gonna shock that stuff long before you get here if you're serious with God. You're not gonna come here and have God and that preacher fight with you to get rid of the slop of this world. He came back on his own. And one of the things that I think, oh, Brother Elder, I think the reason why that boy oh, threw his arms around his dad was because when he was a long way off, he was looking for familiar landmarks to guide him back home. And when he saw the farm, the old homestead looked just like he'd left it. The only hope a backslider's got is if that preacher and the leadership of this church will keep it just like when they left it. The rules are not gonna change. The law of the house is still gonna be the same. Some people think they're so important to God that they're gonna put enough pr pressure on the preacher to make him change the law of the house. But I'm gonna tell you something tonight. If that preacher's worth his salt, he's not changing for you or a 100,000 like you. Yeah. 
was the first type of backslider. He left and he came back on his own. Brother Elder, I'm convinced that some of them, the only way they're going to come back is when they hit rock bottom. That's right. When they come to themselves. But they're going to come back clean. I don't believe for a minute you have to wait till you get the house of God to repent. You're a backslider. You know what repentance is. Oh, but I don't have time to dwell on that tonight. But oh, I want to say it again. He came back clean. He didn't come back with a pig under his arm. That old son, when he came back, he, he didn't have any rights. He said, I'm not even worthy to be called your hired servant. Just let me come and stay in the barn somewhere, Dad. Oh, if I could just even eat the crumbs that fall off the servant's table. You see, we come to God sometimes and we're so high and lofty in our thinking when really we ought to crawl back to God and say, God, if there's any way possible, have mercy on me. I'm just an old sinner. Jesus talked about the parable concerning the man that had the hundred sheep. Took him out to pasture one day, and when he came home that night, counted the sheep, let him pass under the rod. 97, 98, 99. Whoa, wait a minute here. Let's count them sheep again. 97, 98, 99. One's missing. Brother Elder, you'll have to forgive me. I don't know whether you was like this when you was evangelizing, but I spent enough time with my pastor on the platform that when people didn't show up, I knew it. I watched, I looked. And when they didn't show up for church and nobody knew where they was, it was like I was having a heart attack. My God, have at least enough consideration to call the man of God if you're not gonna be there and tell him, what's wrong with you and where you're going if you're going out of town? Ask him. Don't give him heart attacks and fits wondering where you are and what you're doing. But here, here this little sheep's going wandering. He leaves the sheep with somebody else and he goes looking for them. Finds that little sheep. And, and they say that when sheep wander, they break their leg and put it around their neck. And that little sheep, by the time his leg heals, has become so accustomed to the step of the shepherd, the sound of his voice, the warmth of his body, that when that little leg is healed on that sheep, but that sheep won't wander anymore, he'll stay so close to the shepherd, he'll almost trip the shepherd. You read in Solomon's song about footsteps around the shepherd's tent. You want to stay saved? I'm going to tell you how to stay saved in a few short words. Get as close to this man of God as he'll let you. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. I said, get as close to that man of God as he'll let you. Feel his heartbeat. Get in step with him. What the point is, the shepherd had to go look out there for that little sheep. Brother Elder, there's some not coming back on their own. There's some as bad as you hate to. You're going to have to go where they are and drag them out and say, come on back home. There's a place for you. But 
But the one that bothers me the most is the parable that Jesus told of the lost coin. The woman with the lost coin, the coin was lost in the house. This is by far the worst type of a backslider because they're lost sitting on an apostolic church pew. They don't go out there and sin. They bring their sin in here. But the Bible said the woman, the woman, the woman, she looked for the lost coin. The coin didn't come back on its own. The preacher don't go look for this one. That's your job. That's your job. I think for too long the church has been content to let people sit next to them and backslide and go to hell. I believe, Brother Answer, the, el- the, 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 the answer, Brother Elder, is you're keeping people in church and retaining people is when they realize, hey, I've got a responsibility. If they're not praying, I've got to go and say, Brother, what's the matter with you? Why ain't you praying? Come on, I'll pray with you. You don't have to be lost. Come on, I know you're fighting hell. I know you're fighting devils, but I'm willing to stand with you. I'll help you pray. Even when you don't feel like praying, Come on, brother. Don't backslide out of here. Don't let the devil blow you out of the saddle. Come on, pray, pray, pray. I don't believe it's the will of God for us to sit and let people be lost right next to us. I don't believe for a minute it's the will of God to leave it all up to the pastor. That's the pastor's business. No, soul business is our business. I worry, Brother Elder, a whole lot more about people doing absolutely nothing in church than overstepping their boundaries. If you sit here and do nothing about those around you, you're as good as in hell right now. You're not bearing any fruit. You're going to be cut down and thrown in the fire. Oh, I know you don't like to hear it, but it's the truth anyway. What are you saying tonight, preacher? I'm saying it's about time you got a burden for the person sitting next to you that's supposed to have the Holy Ghost. Don't you get sick and tired of teaching Bible studies and seeing people pray through and get baptized only five or six months later to have the devil blow them out of the church? You need to strengthen one another's hand tonight. But as serious tonight as what backsliding is, But I'm going to preach tonight is far more serious than that. I'm going to preach tonight about a Rubicon. It's that point of no return. It's that line, that invisible line somewhere between here and eternity. Proverbs 21 and 16 said, The man that wanders out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. I did not write the scripture tonight but it's in that Bible. If you wander out of the way of understanding, you're gonna remain in the congregation of the dead. 
Oh, preacher, I don't understand with what's wrong with what I'm doing. I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway, preacher. That's just your opinion. No, you don't understand. You're beginning to wander out of the way of understanding, and you're wandering toward that point of no return. Oh, let me read you some scripture tonight. Proverbs 28 and 9, Should he that turneth his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. You don't understand the consequences of when you turn this man of God off, when he preaches from this pulpit the burden that God's put on his heart, and you just turn him off, and you close your ear to what he's got to say. Preacher, I'm not listening. You can't stir me, preacher. I've heard the best. I've turned the best of them off, preacher. You're not going to move me. You don't understand. You're wandering out of the way of understanding. You're turning your ear away from hearing the very thing that can help you. Preacher, I've been around for years. I've been through revivals. I've weathered the best of them, preacher. You can't move me. Just hurry up and finish, preacher. Oh, don't turn me off tonight. Has the word of God become so common that you can just turn a switch and turn it off? Proverbs 29 and 1 said, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. It's this neck that turns the head. It's the neck that determines whether or not the body changes direction or not. Can I tell you what the writer was really saying? He's saying that if, you, if you're often reproved for the same thing, you stiffen your neck and you get an inability in you that you put there that you can't repent. When you stiffen your neck against the man of God and the word of God, you're, you're giving yourself over to besetting sin, to reoccurring sin. Psalm 66 and 18 said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see, I believe you can get to a place where you make provision for the flesh. But you hear me tonight, the sin that you fail to conquer will in the end conquer you. Are you listening tonight? I said the sin that you fail to conquer will be the one that destroys you. The hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. To pass that limit is to die. To die if by stealth. It does not quench the beaming eye nor fade the glow of health. The conscience may still be at ease, the spirit light and gay. That which is pleasing still may please and care to thrust away. But on that forehead God has set indelibly a mark. Unseen by man, for man as yet is blind and in the dark. And yet the doomed man's pathway below like Eden may have bloomed. He did not, does not, will not know nor feel that he is doomed. He thinks or feels that all is well and every fear is calmed. 
He lives, he died, he wakes in hell, not only doomed but damned. Oh, where is this mysterious born by which our path is crossed, beyond which God himself has sworn that he who goes is lost? How far may we go on in sin? How long will God forbear? Where does hope end and where begin the confines of despair? An answer from the skies is sent. Ye that from God depart, while it is called today, repent and harden not your heart. Backsliding tonight is terrible. It's horrible. And I suppose what a lot of people don't understand is that the longer they're away from God and the further they get from Him until they cross that, that invisible line and there's no turning back, there's no coming back, when you step over that line, you're beyond the reach of God's grace and beyond the reach of God's mercy. Genesis 6 and 3 and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. You may be prone to think tonight that because God is love, that you can do what you like and walk away from God and come back anytime you please. But you hear me. I'm telling you tonight, it's possible to play games with your soul and gamble your soul into hell. You may go out of here tonight and return to the vomit of this world and your sin, but you hear me. One day you may call on God, but he'll laugh when your calamity comes and he'll mock when your fear comes. I wonder, are you sitting under the sound of my voice saying amen with your mouth and in your heart? You're saying, preacher, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. I wonder if presumptuous sin has already gotten dominion over you. James 4 and 17 said, Therefore to him that knoweth to do right, to doeth good, and him that doeth it not to him, it is sin. Even as you sit here, you have to understand you're just a heartbeat from judgment, just a breath from eternity. I remember 29 years ago this past March, I walked into my home. It was like any other day. Nothing was out of place. Nothing was out of the ordinary. My dad was sitting in the old familiar rocking chair watching his favorite TV program. My mother was busy working around the house. I had made my peanut butter sandwich and poured my glass of milk. And my mother started across the floor. And she staggered. And I said, Dad, there's something wrong with Mom. She was gasping for breath. We didn't know what was wrong with her. I laid her back on the sofa. And my dad said, go get your sister. My elder sister lived back the road, probably a quarter of a mile. I ran back there. She came out the road running as fast as her body would take her, talking in tongues. I didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost. I couldn't tell you what she was doing, but I, I realized now what it was. 
She came in the room where my mother was, and my dad said to her, if you're going to pray, shut that foolishness up. I walked over to my mother. She was gasping. My dad said, feel for a pulse. I reached down there by the elder and caught my mother's wrist. I was a 14-year-old boy. Here was my mother, and she was dying. And I held her wrist, brother. She beat her last beat. And I said, Dad, she's gone. You sit here tonight healthy and strong, but you don't realize you're one heartbeat from eternity, one breath from the judgment of God. You know this way is right, but you won't live it. You're sitting here, service after service, and you're on your way to hell. Even while mercy holds back the judgment of God, you're sitting here fighting off grace. Grace is trying to take you by the hand and lead you to a place of repentance, but you're pushing grace away, saying, no, I know what I'm doing's wrong, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyway. Your captive sin has taken dominion over you. I believe tonight with all of my heart, the warning lights are going off. There's lights flashing that are saying, sit up and pay attention. Sit up and pay attention. Don't come this way. 1 Timothy 6.21 talks about some professing have erred concerning the faith. To err means to aim at the mark and to purposefully miss the mark by swerving aside. It means to pull your shot as though you're shooting with a bow and arrow. It means to pull your shot at the very last moment. To aim at the mark and to purposefully swerve aside. You know what you're doing is wrong. It's that proud, arrogant, haughty sin that says, I know, preacher. I know. I know. You may be tempted to say, you don't understand what I've been through, preacher. You don't know my background. You don't know my upbringing. You don't know the latest circumstance that has befallen me. All I can tell you tonight is when we're at this altar, we're all on a level playing field. There's no big B's and little U's. There's no people with big problems and little problems. God looks at us all the same, and he requires the same from every one of us. I understand that presumptuous sin can get hold of you. I understand that it breeds self-will and rebellion. It breeds stubbornness and selfishness and self-centeredness. And I understand that when sin, presumptuous sin gets a hold of you, you begin to make allowances for the flesh. What you're really saying tonight by not yielding to God is you're saying, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to override the conviction of the Holy Ghost that I feel. 
I'm not going to listen to that God-given little preacher that God gave me called a conscience. Matter of fact, I'm going to chase him from the pulpit with a hot iron. And I'm going to brand that little conscience. I'm going to slay that God-given little preacher. And I'm going to bury him beneath the wreckage and carnage of sin in my life. The warning lights are flashing. The road signs are saying, do not enter. Everything tonight that I'm saying is crying, confess, and forsake your sin. If you want a biblical definition of sin, it's there in the book of Proverbs. Said, so he that confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. Said, a man that covers his sin, he shall not prosper. To confess, not to a man necessarily, but to God. And once you've told God about your sin, you need to forsake it. Forsake means to abandon, to orphan your sin, to leave it to die. I've seen people come to an altar time after time and confess their sin before God, but they didn't want to forsake it. They wanted to have it hang around them and kiss it and pet on it and love it. And all the while, it was destroying them and taking them to hell. Simmer down, preacher. I'm okay. Simmer down, preacher. Don't worry. I'm trying to warn you tonight. You're not okay. You're not okay. Your heart's not right. Your spirit's not right. I'm going to tell you something, and please take this in the context of what I'm saying it in. God cares a whole lot more about your spirit and what kind of spirit you have than He does whether you get your sleeve to your wrist or halfway up your arm. And I by no means am condemning uh, or condoning short sleeves. Oh, God, have mercy. The, I'll tell you why I cover my arm, because God covered his. Read it in the Scripture. He said, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? If it was revealed, it meant it was covered up. But I'm telling you, God is interested in your spirit and my spirit. We're not going to be saved without a right spirit, without a teachable spirit. We can have sleeves long enough to drag the ground. But if we've got a nasty, mean old spirit, we're not going to be saved. We're not pleasing to God. Let me take you tonight, if you would please, to Romans, or to Hebrews, rather, chapter 6. Some of the most fearful scriptures written in this Bible. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come 
If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance. Listen. Seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I'm preaching tonight about the second Calvary. I've seen people come to God and I've seen them backslide and come back, pray through the Holy Ghost and go out again. Time after time after time, I've seen them come to an altar and scream and cry. I could talk to you tonight about old Lillian. She'd come, oh, she'd come, brother elder, broken tears running down her face, screaming out to God for mercy. I don't know how many times that woman had the Holy Ghost, but all I know is there was a time came when she come to that altar and there was no Holy Ghost for her. She had crucified her Lord afresh too many times. And the problem with the second Calvary is there's no second resurrection. There's no resurrection power for it. See, Jesus said, if any man follow me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That same cross that you're supposed to be carrying is the same one you can use to crucify him with afresh. If presumptuous sin gets a hold of you, you'll throw that cross down. And you'll take and reach for the crown of thorns and the hammer and the nails and you'll nail the Jesus that I serve to the cross. You'll stand it up and throw it in that hole and you'll stand around and mock and jeer at the Jesus that I serve. As the blood runs down again, you'll crucify him afresh. But the problem is there's no resurrection power for your crucifixion. You see, it's so dangerous to slay your conscience. Conscience never keeps you from doing anything wrong. It just keeps you from enjoying it. It's just there to warn you. But when you shut the mouth of that God little given preacher that says you better not do that. You better not do that. I wouldn't do that. Oh, remember what the preacher preached. Don't do that. Don't don't go there. Don't 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 run with that person. You know what the preacher preached. You know what the word of God says. Don't do that. Don't do that. But when you shut the mouth of that little preacher, sin is getting hold of you presumptuous sins taking hold of you. You're telling that little preacher, shut up! I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. It's so dangerous to come in and out of a church and take for granted that God will always be there because you can get to the place where you can live for God without God. Hebrews chapter 10, God tried again to warn these people. Verse 25, he said, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, if we sin on purpose, if we sin knowingly, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. 
to slay Jesus Christ afresh. There's the sacrifice. It, it doesn't make any difference. It, there's no atoning in that, that second crucifixion for you. He said, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Do you know what this is saying tonight? They died without compassion. Jesus, God, he, he let them die without feeling emotion for them. Judgment slew them by the thousands. And he said, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who was trodden underfoot the Son of God. And it counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And hath done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What are you saying tonight, preacher? I'm saying when presumptuous sin gets a hold of you, that you'll walk through the blood of Christ and say it's unholy. It don't cleanse from sin. It did nothing for me. I've seen them come in and go out. There's unstable as water. They're like the waves that they foam out their own shame. They don't realize tonight. And, and perhaps there's some of you don't realize when you come to this church, it's not like any other church. Hear me! It's not like any other church. This is where God deals with the destinies of men. This is where men are weighed in the balance. The Bible said God weigheth the spirits of men. This is where he sifts the motives and the hearts of men. And when you come here, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to count the cost, you're going to count the cost, or you're going to sit there and harden your heart toward the Word of God. There's no in-between. You're either going to go ahead in God, or you're going to regress and go away from God. I wonder tonight if the cross that you carried today, if it will be the one you crucify him with tomorrow. Sin here in this scripture, to sin willfully, it means to miss the mark and so not share in the prize. It means willful, voluntarily, on purpose. You just know it's wrong, but you're going to go ahead and do it anyway. I don't know how many times I sit in my pastor's office across the room as a witness while he would try to deal with people about their soul. And I've heard them say, but pastor, you don't understand. And I've heard them argue. I've heard them get angry with him. And I've heard him plead with them not to do the thing that was in their heart. And they said, some of them said, Brother Elder, I know it's wrong, Pastor, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I wonder how many of you have sit across the desk from this good man of God and in your heart or by your words have said, 
Brother Hilder, I know what you're saying is right, but I'm just going to go ahead and live my own way anyway. That proud, arrogant, haughty sin. People have tried perhaps to help you overcome, but you've spurned their love and their attention Oh, God, I, I don't want to go into it tonight, but I've watched people spurn discipline. I've watched them spurn correction. I've watched people bow up in their spirit when the man of God would try to correct them. Push it off. Push it off. I ask you tonight, church, if you know how to pray, would you just be praying quietly, please? I'm going to finish here in a few minutes. But I really believe God is trying to get someone's attention tonight. I believe God is pleading with people. Say, preacher, preacher, oh, I've heard preachers say I wouldn't beg anybody to pray. This preacher's not about, he's not about to, to give you the wrong impression but I'll get on my knees and beg you not to leave this place without praying. You see, I've seen the judgment of God. I tell you, I've seen the judgment of God. I watched my first pastor's teenage boy, 15 years old, in the prime of life, be stricken with leukemia. I watched him go from weighing 240 pounds down to about 98 pounds just a stripling of what he was. And I heard him beg God, God, if you'll have mercy on me, I'll serve you. I watched him, Brother Elder, before he took sick, play X and O's in the bottom of his shoes, shoot little spit balls at the preacher while he was preaching, trying to shoot them in his mouth. I watched him write his filthy little notes and pass them back and forth in church. And I watched the judgment of God come on that preacher's boy. But God was merciful, brother. Elder, he touched that boy. His strength came back. His health came back. His hair grew back. He, he, he let the cane stay at home that he'd walk with. And he began once more to be the pitcher of health. But he wasn't back in church very long until he fell back in the same old, same old run. Several weeks later, he got sick again. After he died, his dad told me a few years later, he said, I spent the last three or four hours in that hospital room with Stephen. And he screamed and screamed and screamed. I can't feel God, Dad. Dad, pray, I can't feel God. Dad, I played too long, Dad. I, I pray I can't feel him, Dad. He said, I listened to my boy scream his way into hell. I'm not about to be so, so difficult tonight. I beg you to pray. You're here and your heart's not right. Whether you're a sinner or whether you're a backslider in heart or whether you're just an outright backslider, I'll beg you to pray tonight. 
I beg you, don't leave without praying tonight. You see, I believe that the hand is stretched out in mercy tonight may be closed into a fifth of wrath, wrath and judgment tomorrow. First John 5 and 16 said, There is a sin unto death. I do not say he shall pray for it. Somewhere between here and eternity is that invisible line. Somewhere between here and eternity, it's as though there was a pit called sin unto death. Once you fall into that pit or cross that line, it's too late for you. There's no return. I wonder tonight if you're headed that way right now. As you stand tonight, if they'd come to the instruments, please. I wonder if you'll make your way to the front and stand around here. I wonder if you'll surrender to God. The second Calvary has no second resurrection. No power to set you free from your presumptuous sin. There's no life in that second Calvary. Eternity tonight is calling. It always calls in a service at this time. I wonder, is it calling your name? God can break the power of presumptuous sin, besetting sin, reoccurring sin, if you'll fall upon the rock and be broken. Perhaps tonight you're like Lot's wife. Heaven had her by the hand, but the world had her by the heart. Somebody needs to pray tonight. Somebody needs to pray. You haven't come yet. You haven't come yet. Are you standing out there saying, I know, preacher. I know. I know. I know it's wrong. I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway, preacher. I know the books I've been reading are wrong, preacher. I know the things I've been watching are wrong. Preacher, I know it's not right to slip off to Walmart and watch TV. I know it's not right to mess around on the Internet, preacher. You've not come yet. God is waiting on you tonight. Judgment. Judgment is seeking to overtake you tonight. Grace is trying to get you by the hand and lead you to a place of repentance. Mercy is holding back the judgment of God. Won't you pray tonight? Won't you pray? Come on. Come on. Won't you pray? Preacher, I'm all right the way I am. Preacher, there's nothing wrong with me. You don't understand my transgression. You don't understand the very minute you think there's nothing wrong. That's the time that there is. That he that standeth take heed long, lest he fall. Lest he fall. Lest he fall. When he gave his I life. I wonder tonight if the next step you take will take you across that line. That point of no return. 
Will the next thing you do be to reach for the hammer and the nails? Want to know? To crucify him afresh. Does he still? Don't hurt your heart. Don't hurt your heart. Come on. Every time Everybody should be praying. Everybody needs to find a place to pray. Hear the crowd if your heart's cry, right, you've got confidence toward God. Again. Be praying for somebody else. Come on. Come on. Don't bow up your spirit. Don't try to fight God tonight. God's dealing with you. Then I know Richard, what I want to What I want to Confess your sin. Just can't bear the thought of hurting him. Come on. Come on tonight. Oh, would you pray now, church? Come on. Help me pray tonight. Help me pray. Somebody needs to touch God. And I treat his precious grace so carelessly. But each time he forgives, what if he relives the agony he felt on that tree? Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. Tell me Jesus died for my transgressions That he paid that price a long, long time ago When he gave his life for me On a hill called Calvary but there's something else I want to know. Does he still, Does he still feel, the nails feel the nails every time I fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. It seems that I'm so good at breaking promises. I treat his precious grace so carelessly but each time he forgives what if he relives 
the agony he felt on that tree. Does he still feel the nails every time I feel? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. Holy, holy, holy is the again Oh, am I causing campaign Then I know I've got to change I just can't bear the thought of hurting him They tell me Jesus died from my transgressions that he paid that price a long long time ago when he gave his life for me on a hill called Calvary. Mark church let's pray let's pray let's pray there's something else her souls in the balance tonight. Their souls in the balance feel the nails every time I feel. Can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. It seems that I'm so good. Let's pray. 
breaking promises. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. So carelessly. Oh God, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but each time He forgives, what if He relives the agony He felt on that tree? Does He still feel the nails? Every time I fail, can he hear the crowd cry, crucify again? Am I causing him pain? And I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy. Justice demanded satisfaction. The law had been broken again and again. Judgment required immediate action. Death wanted payment for sin. But mercy refused, and love took my place. There on the cross, where justice met grace, mercy refused to let 
cross where justice met grace mercy refused to let me die jesus the lamb was crucified though rightfully death wanted me but mercy refused justice demanded the law had been broken God have mercy come on church judgment oh can we put time on the shelf right now while somebody seeks for their eternal security and eternity but mercy love took my place there on the cross where justice refused to let me die jesus the lamb was crucified though rightfully death wanted me but mercy refused. Oh, yes. Christ has become my righteousness. The Lord is my peace. He is my freedom from sin. Now I am clothed in His holiness. To a new life I entered in When mercy refused And love took my place There on the cross Where justice met grace Mercy refused to let me die Jesus the Lamb was crucified Though rightfully death wanted me But mercy refused As far as the heavens are over the earth so great is his love for us as high as the east is from the west that's how far he's removed our transgressions 